with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to take a look at verses 16 through 20. And then later on in the study, we're going to turn to Psalms 119, verse 16. So I entitled the message this morning, The Real Jesus Stood Up. The Real Jesus Stood Up. Uh, In the 60s, it was a game show. Uh, A lot of us older folks might remember it. But there was a, a game show called To Tell the Truth. And they would have, for the younger generation, they would have like three contestants and and they would describe a person. And so the panel would ask questions of the three people on the panel and they would try to find out who was the right person. And at the end of the at the end, they would they would all try to make uh, an idea of who this person is. And they said, will the real so-and-so please stand up? And so the real person would stand up and they would say, oh, man, I was wrong or I got it. Uh, So it was a it was kind of a fun thing. But we're living in a world where there are many so-called Jesuses. You know, the, the name Jesus is almost thrown around really loose. And to understand the real Jesus, the real Jesus who stood up. Let's take a look here at Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 20. It says, Now he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he, Jesus, closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray again. Father, we love you, Lord. And Father, we want to know this Jesus, the personal Jesus. Lord, that you would be personal, that we would have an intimate personal relationship with you that we wouldn't have misconceptions about you we wouldn't have our own ideas of who you are that you wouldn't be distant that that relationship would we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of you we would have a a a relationship with you and that you would bless your people this morning father that your word would speak that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your people In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I mentioned, there's many misconceptions about Jesus. A lot of people have their own idea of who Jesus is. You know, all major religions have a version of Jesus. There's a Mormon Jesus. There's a Jehovah Witness Jesus. There's a Baha'i Faith Jesus. There's an Islamic Jesus. There's Jesuses all over the world. But it isn't the same Jesus. And that's the problem. There are many copycats. And I like to relate it like this. And many of you guys have heard me use this analogy. You know, we all, how many of us know a guy named John? Raise your hand. How many of you guys know a guy named John? 
Okay, we know a guy. Who doesn't know a guy named John? I'll introduce you to a guy named John. He's in the children's ministry. I think he's back there. There he is. There's John. Well, we'll get to know him after. And there's John over there. We'll get you to meet them so you'll know a guy named John. But just think of the guy named John that you know. Think about him in your mind. Now, I'm thinking of the guy John I know. Now, he grew up in my house. Is the same John you're thinking about who lived with me for, you know, like 20 years? No, it's probably a different John. So that's way Jesus is in many of these religions. He's a different guy. You know, we might have the same name, but he is a totally different guy. And the reason why they do that, why they copycat Jesus is because he's so popular. They adopt a form or a version of Jesus because he's so popular what he did his mighty works are indisputable. He is a historical figure. So they copycat who Jesus is. But here it says he was brought up in Nazareth. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that he went, uh, Joseph and Mary went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, and they had Jesus, virgin birth, in the town of Bethlehem. We also see this in Micah 5, 2 where he was born in Bethlehem. After that, Herod wanted to, remember, he wanted to kill all the children. Jesus goes to live in Egypt for a time. Then they come back and they settle in back in Nazareth. So that's where he grew up. And so this is the biblical Jesus. He is a historical person. So some make the claim that Jesus is a rebel. Jesus is a rebel. Many people use the idea or a misconception about Jesus that Jesus didn't like organized religion. Jesus had a problem with organized religion. And they use this excuse so they don't have to go to church. I don't go to church. You know, Jesus never go to church. He talked about, you know, religion bad. Um, but this isn't consistent with the biblical Jesus. So we want to know the biblical Jesus and for the Christian or the church to know the biblical Jesus, we have to be in the word. When we're in the word, we'll recognize a copycat or a phony. It, it's our guideline. The word is our guideline. So a lot of people use this misconception to, for reasoning for why they don't go to church. But notice here, Jesus was consistent in gathering. It says that notice it says here it was his custom. It was his custom. It was his custom to go to weekly services. Here we say, it says in verse 16, and such was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Jesus was perfect. He never missed a Sabbath. He never missed a feast. He was always, he's perfect. So he never missed Sunday or a, a time of worship. A set time of worship. They worshiped on Saturday. But in the in the New Testament, uh, we call it the Lord's Day. We gather on Sunday. So Jesus never missed. And so the idea of Jesus not liking organized religion is a false or misconception. Uh, he was consistent. But notice here he also had reverence in his reading of the word. It says he stood up. He stood up. He had reverence for the word of God. And that's why many times, we, you know, when we pray, they ask you to stand up. And, you know, right before, you know, your pastor comes up, we're standing up. It's, it's in reverence to the word of God. 
and we're, we're showing a reverence or respect for the Word of God. But also he proclaimed the teaching, what was taught by Jesus was in context. It was Scripture. And so, you know, we could go to churches and they could just share a lot of just uh, motivating things, but we want to stick to Scripture. It's the Word of God. It's what we need to grow as Christians. And one of the things we need to understand, because when we read the Word of God, a lot of times people will say, well, this Scripture means this to me, or this Scripture means this to me, and we personalize it. And it's true, the Word of God is personal, but it always has a author's intent. What does the author intend it to mean? In the 1970s or late 60s, somewhere around that time, there was an old song, Philadelphia Freedom. How many of you guys remember that song? Philadelphia Freedom. Da, 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 you know, so a lot of people have the idea that that song, okay, Philadelphia, we know what happened in Philadelphia over 200 years ago. You know, the free, you know Declaration of Independence, freedom. We want our independence from 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 uh, England and and the king and, and oppression and taxes and you know we have this idea that that's what the song's about but we have to know what was happening in culture at that time Philadelphia had a tennis team called the Philadelphia Flyers where Billie Jean King was coming out as the first homosexual uh, uh, athlete so uh, that song was actually about the freedom of expression of sexuality. We're coming out, you know. So Philadelphia freedom, we're coming out. So author's intent, so I don't personalize it. It's author's intent. Whatever the, what God means it to say, that's what it means. But can it be personal? Absolutely. But here we see... Jesus had a right interpretation, and he proclaimed the teaching from Scripture, his intent. But we see here in verse 18 and 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus lived his life a pattern after that which is described in Scripture. He said it. He lived it. And the same too with us. You know, how Scripture portrays Christians, that's the way we should live. And there's a, lot, there's a big problem. Uh, you know, we sometimes people proclaim Christianity, but they're not living according to the word. That is that, you know, there's something off and it's not the word. It's probably you. But his mighty works here will give validity to the claims that he made. He's claiming to be the savior, the Messiah, and the mighty works he says he's going to do are going to give validity to the claims that what he is saying is true. And the same thing to us. We claim to be believing, Bible-believing Christians, but do our works, our lifestyles, give validity to the claims that we make with our mouth? So we need to really pray. But here it says Jesus depended upon the Spirit of the Lord. And so too, as Christians, we too need to depend on the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing for the task. 
as believers in God, God will endow us with the Holy Spirit. He provides Christians with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a similar but lesser role than the Lord for the work of ministry. God will empower his people. But look at Jesus's message here. What is his primary message for coming to proclaim or to preach the gospel? To preach the gospel. That's that's the main focus of Jesus, to preach the gospel. That's our main focus as a church, to proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the greatest need of mankind. And you know, some people don't understand what the gospel means. They think it means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospels. No, it means the good news. That's what the gospel means. It means the good news. But for me to understand the good news, I have to understand there's bad news. Bad news. You see, all of us, you know, we pretty much think we're good people. You know, I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm not bad compared to that guy or that girl or or so and so. I'm not that bad. We have that idea that we're not that bad when we compare ourselves to people and that are in a less degree than ourselves, because we always want to make ourselves look better. You know, I'm always looking for that good picture. You know, when we took doubles, you know, where's that good picture? Want to look good. You know, we want to look good. And that, that is just, that's our nature. But when we compare ourselves, we compare ourselves to Jesus. We compare ourselves to the Word of God. And Jesus has given us the Word of God like a mirror to look at ourselves. And, and I'm going to give you ten things to think about and ten things to look about. And we see those in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through uh, a, a few of the verses there. But it's called the Ten Commandments, the moral law. It, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. How many of us always put God first? Always put God first. You know, I, I've, I never miss a Sunday. You know, I never, you know, get up without praising him and worshiping him and seeking him and talking to him. You know, do I always put him first? That's the first commandment. Do I fall? Do I fall short or am I doing good? The second commandment is thou shall not make a, an image of God of my own liking. And a lot of times we do that. We we have this Jesus who's OK with my belief system. We see that in religions or or I think I'm in sin and I know I'm in sin and my Jesus is OK with my sin. That's we're making an image of God that isn't him. And the image of God is is in the word and the person of Jesus Christ. The third commandment is thou shall not use uh, the Lord's name in vain. And, and how many of us have, you know, said, oh, my, you know, just using God's holy name so irreverently. I, you know, I used to smack my hand with a hammer and all of a sudden I just it just comes out of my mouth. You know, the word of God says that, God, that his enemies blaspheme his name. You know, his enemies blaspheme his name. And it, it isn't they're not saying any other name they're saying jesus and they're saying they're they're saying it about the god of heaven and you know what we've done it too we all have done it we fall short the fourth commandment is out you shall keep the sabbath day holy you know do we always set a time set a weekly time for worship and rest and just to spend time to hear the word of god consistently 
the fifth commandment, honor my mother and my father. You know, sometimes when, we, when we're not living right or our attitude's wrong, we're not honoring our mother and our father. The, the uh, sixth commandment, Jesus said, you shall, the Bible says you shall not murder. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, if I have hate in my heart for somebody, I've committed murder in my heart. You know, Jesus says, takes it one step above. It's not just the action, it's, it's your, your attitude of your heart. But he also says that with, and it's so easy, you know, somebody cuts me off and it's like, oh man, I get so angry. Or somebody gets the promotion that I think I deserve and I get angry. Or somebody gets the trophy and I don't, you know, I get angry. Or we get jealous and we backbite and we talk about people. And the seventh commandment, the seventh thing is, is, is lust. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if even if we look at a woman with lust, we've committed adultery with her in our hearts. So, it, you know, and the, the eighth command, thou shalt not steal. So these are a lot of things to think about. And I usually ask the kids, when, you know, when does a thief become a thief? When he takes the thing or he thinks about it. It's when he thinks about it. He just hasn't committed the action. Then God knows us. We're already thinking about things, but the action's coming unless it's dealt with in the heart. How many of us have ever stolen anything irrelevant of its cost? You know, I have. I, I think I still, I mentioned earlier, I have Costco pens from when I used to work at Costco. Yeah. But we, we, we were giving them to give them away. You know, I think I kept a few of them, you know, you know, we, we, we justify things, you know, we, we fudge on our, cha- our, our, we mess, on, you know, we kind of on our taxes, you know. The, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not lie. How many of us have never lied? You know, you, you, you can't, you don't have to teach this to our, our children. We don't have to teach children to lie. We don't have to teach children to, to be, to, to steal, you know, uh, it's like, we, it comes naturally. I didn't do that. No, it wasn't me. You see it on their face. Oh, it wasn't me. You know, we, we've lied. We fall short. You know, it, it's like it's no big deal. But God, it, to, to God, it is a big deal. You know, we, we don't have to teach kids how not to steal. They, you know, they, you know, I have a couple of grandkids. They come over to my house and they want to take the other kids' toys and take them with them. And they get all upset with each other. And, you know, we don't have to be taught. These are, these are who we are by nature. And some of us just hide it better than others. And the Tenth Commandment, covetousness. And people think covetousness isn't a bad thing, coveting things, wanting things that other people have or jealousy. You know, coveting somebody's wife and uh, somebody's job, position, role, responsibilities. It's, that is one sin that just piggybacks on every other, every other sin we see as a result of coveting. And we think it's no big deal. You see, the Bible portrays us people as sinners. That means we miss the mark. We miss the mark of perfection. You know, Jesus fulfilled... These Ten Commandments, perfectly. Thought, word, and deed. Thought, word, and deed, perfectly. And you know what? He calls us sinners. We missed the mark of moral perfection, but he didn't. 
The Bible says here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we are sinners, we fall short of the glory of God, and we're all deserving of judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Let me read it. It says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous, those who miss the mark, will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. But he says here, don't be deceived. You know, because we could deceive ourselves. But here, he, the first thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, he's talking about immorality, and he uses the word fornication, which means having sex before marriage, and adultery, having sex with somebody else that's not your spouse. And then he goes into same-sex things, but uh, homosexuality and sodom- sodomy, but he's putting them all in the same category as sinful and wicked. But notice he mentions this sin four times because it was the major problem of that day. And it's a major problem today. We all fall short. No matter you know, what side you're on or what, what you try to justify, we all fall short. You see, because it's a major problem today, and as it was in that day, you know, why is it a major problem that day as it is today? It's because man still has a sinful heart and desires to do things contrary to what God prescribed. But also here it mentions idolaters. A list of idolatry would be, you know, not putting God's first, uh, making an image of God in my own likeness, justifying my sin and making God come down to my level and being okay with what I'm doing. Or using his name so flippantly. That's idolatry. That's the first, second, and third commandment. Here he says thieves. Thieves, which is the eighth commandment. Covetousness and drunkards would fall under the fifth commandment. Drunkards. You know, people justify it. It's okay to have a little beer or, you know, to cheat. But here it also says revilers. Don't be deceived. Revilers, those who criticize with the tongue, those who are abusers and strike one another with the tongue are backbite, backbiting, talking behind people's back, gossipers. You need to be careful. And the sixth commandment, extortioners, those who are bullies who just rip you off, rip you off. See, that's the bad news, the bad news. We all fall short. We all fall short. Not one of us could say we're perfect, and that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came. That's the good news. That's the good news. The bad news is we're, we're all guilty. In James chapter 2 and verse 10, this is the children's ministry uh, uh, memory verse for the, for the, um, for the month. James 2.10 says, For whoever shall not keep the whole law, for whoever shall keep the, the whole law, yet in one point, stumble, he's guilty of all. We're guilty. We all stand guilty. And that's why Jesus came. That's why God put on skin, because we're all guilty. 
We all fall short. We're all ripe for judgment. That's the bad news. But the good news is he came. That's the good news. He came. You see, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, then the, then the judgment is coming. We're all going to have to stand before God. You know, we don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. Pray for me. I have to do a funeral on the first for a family that, you know, a, a dad, an uncle, and a brother of, of my friend got on a plane. They went up, and the plane came right down, and, and they all died. And they were, you know, they, they all died. I have to do a funeral. What do I say? You know, we're not, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised, you know. So I want to be right with God today. I'm accountable for what I hear. And I really need the, the Spirit of the Lord to speak to me because, you know what, I'm not promised tomorrow, so I have to be right with God. You see, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 tells us that Jesus lived a sin, sinless, perfect life. And we could receive salvation because of what he did. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19 says that the law cannot make us perfect. The law cannot make us perfect, but Jesus can. It's called substitutional righteousness. In other words, he died for my sin on the cross. My sin was placed on the cross and his righteousness is placed to my account. So that's when the Christian those who repented, put their faith and trust in the Lord, stand before God on the day of judgment, he sees us as perfect. He sees the righteousness of Christ. We get to go to heaven. That's the good news. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't, we can't work for it. I can't come to enough church for it. I can't learn enough Bible verses for it. I can't buy it. I can't be self-righteous. It's Christ's righteousness. That's the good news. And you see, God is ministering to us. See, Jesus offered his perfect life for our blemished lives. That's the good news. And he, he extends the gift of salvation to anybody free of charge. We don't have to work for it. We just ha simply need to recognize that we missed the mark. He came down in the form of a man, perfect, and he was tortured on my behalf. That's what the Bible says. That's why he came to die for our sins. His perfect sacrifice, 1 John chapter 3, verse, 7, verse 5 says that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. Him who knew no sin became tortured on our behalf so that we can be accepted, reconciled back to God in a right relationship in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that is so good news. You know, it, it's not based upon my own moral goodness. It's based upon what he's done for me. And as a Christian, I should be grateful and I should want to know the one who died for my sin. I need to spend time with him. He's so good. This is a good news. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone, any man be in Christ, in a relationship with Christ, 
He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank God. Man, I was a horrible, wretched, evil man. Evil man. And God saved me. God changed me. You know, His glory for my good. You know, I, I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. That not of myself. It's a gift of God. And I boast in that. Man, the work of God. Pray. You know, I, I, you know, I kept my mom on her knees, man. My, I had a praying mom, awesome mom. Man, I, my mom wept for me. You know, at, seven, at, at junior high, I was already jumping out the window, taking off for the weekend, drugs and alcohol in junior high. Man, I, I, my mom was believing, and she, you know, she, she was weeping for, for me. And for 14 years, she had to put up with me like that. And, you know, I thank God for my praying mother. I thank you. Thank God for his grace, you know, on, on our lives. And so keep praying. You know, that's the main reason Jesus came to save sinners, to proclaim the good news. Proclaim the good news. And give new life and everlasting life. So that's why as a church, you know, this was his main focus to preach the gospel. So as a church, we need to learn it. We need to share it. We need to teach it. We need to preach the gospel to the world. We see this in Matthew 28, verse 19. That's what Jesus called us to do. This is what we're doing in the children's ministry. This text that I'm sharing with you this morning is their children's ministry curriculum. They know they're missing the mark. They're taught they're missing the mark. They're learning the, the law, but they're also learning the goodness, the grace of the Lord. And we should revel in it. We should proclaim it. But notice here in verse 18, Jesus is compassionate. He came to minister. Look what it says. The brokenhearted. The brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted this morning? You know, Jesus knows. He knows all things. He knows what you need. He, he came to save you, but he came to minister to you, to proclaim, it says here, freedom from sin. Are you in bondage to something, a vice, an idea? Are you struggling with something to overcome something? Are you battling with things? You know, he's, he's here to give you freedom. I, I just remember trying, trying, trying to do good, trying, trying, and I was trying in my own strength, but I thank God that when I surrendered, like that song, I surrendered, you know, I surrendered, and, find, and you know what God said? That's all you needed to do. Now let me do the work. Let God do the work. You know, are you, are you brokenhearted? Are you, are you struggling with something to overcome something? He knows. You know, he, he speaks of being a light to those who sat in darkness. You know, you, know, you, you think of, of groping, like, you know, lo looking around blindly. Are, are you blindly walking as if tomorrow that could be your last day and you could be in eternity? And you don't know where you're at? Are you you're struggling with salvation? Does it scare you? Are you hoping that you would get there? Jesus knows that you're sitting in darkness. He wants to minister to you. Are you oppressed? Because he speaks about here of, of healing those who are oppressed. You know, are, are you oppressed this morning? Jesus is here to minister to you. He's here to save you, but he's here to minister to you. 
And the things that he did give validity to these claims that, that he did these things. He healed the brokenhearted. He cast out demons. He helped people. He healed people. And he's still doing it today. But here he says, he proclaimed he was coming back. Verse 19 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The real Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to judge. And we need to be ready. We need to pray for people. We need to take every, you know, it's like we're, we're with Noah and his family building an ark. And we're telling people, come in, the flood's coming. Now, we want to get our family members in Christ. I'm not talking about church building because it's not about church growth. It's about getting people in the kingdom of God in a relationship with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Man, Jesus, he could come at any moment. We need to be ready and we need to be praying and we need to be inviting people. If we really care, we will share the gospel, the good news. That's their greatest need. We need to be pulling people out of the fire, Jude talks about. We need to be concerned about the loss. We need to be praying. But Jesus here, lets the scripture speak for itself. He let Scripture speak for itself, and it says he sat down. You see, we proclaim truth, and here Jesus proclaimed truth, and he said he sat down. You know, we proclaim truth, but we don't have to convince people. We just share the truth, and we can leave it right there. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We depend upon the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to beat people up over and over they know the truth you know i knew the truth i can't run from the spirit of god and that's where the church needs to pray and be a good witness proclaim truth use our words rightly you see jesus let scripture speak for itself and it says he sat down he didn't force people to believe he trusted in the inward Work of the Holy Spirit in the hearers. We see this in John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus said, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He said, He will come, the Holy Spirit will come, and He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that they missed the mark and that He's coming. He will convict them. We proclaim truth. We sit down. We let the Holy Spirit minister to their hearts. You know, I remember uh, the altar call when Pastor Pastor Raw was giving the altar call, and you know they, they played it once, and then the the sec they they did it again, and I thank the Lord that they did it twice. And then my nephew leaned over to me and he said, "Hey, do you want to go up? I'll go up with you." And I said, "What do I got to lose? I had nothing to lose. Man, it was the greatest day of my life." Just surrendering to God. He convicted me of sin. No one had to do it. I know the truth. He convicted me of righteousness, that my righteousness was filthy rags. My righteousness, our righteousness, Isaiah chapter 64, 6 says, our righteousness says filthy rags. That's why Jesus came to die. 
to substitute His righteousness for our counsel that we could go in. But lastly, here in the text it said, as He read, He proclaimed, He sat down. And it said, all the eyes were fixed on Him to see if He would keep His word. And He did. He not only said what He was going to do, He did what He did. And the same thing with us as Christians. Don't just say that we're Christians, and, but we need to walk according to His Word. We need to walk according to His Word. It isn't easy. It's a battle. If you can, turn with me to Psalms 119. And, and, and you know, Jesus knows it's a battle. It's, it's a battle for me as a pastor. I battle. I struggle. And I could relate here with the psalmist in Psalms chapter 119. Verse 25 through 35. We're going to look at it really quick. Psalms 119, 25 through 35. The psalmist says, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. And, you know, as I was reading this, you know, our flesh in this world is constantly like gravity trying to pull us down pulling us down as as a believer my soul clings to the dust but here the psalmist says revive me according to your word you know it's like i'm constantly pulling down being pulled down but the psalmist is praying for a work of the spirit in his life and we need that work of the spirit that word that Hebrew word for revive is hayah. If you were here on Wednesday evening, I shared with it. You know, in martial arts, we use that word hayah to bring power out from within us to make the best of our impact. Hayah, we it's it's a kata, and we do it to to bring power out of from within. But you see, this hayah is not from within myself. This power that I need as a Christian is what only he supplies. So the psalmist is saying, my soul is like clinging to the dust. But he's saying to God, revive me according to your word. Man, do a supernatural work of your spirit in my life. He says in verse 26, I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. He's praying. He's pleading with the Lord. And he says, I've declared my ways. And you know what? I declare my ways. I miss the mark, God. I fall short. You know, we just covered the Ten Commandments. We all fall short. I'm declaring God's ways. I'm a sinner. I need salvation and I need help. And I need God to teach me. But he says, you answered me. See, God will answer repentance. God will answer a repentant heart. He answered me, but we need to remain teachable. Teachable in God's word. See, we're sinners and we need salvation and we need to be taught the right way, God's way. We need to stick to the word. Verse 27 says, the psalmist goes on to say, make me understand the way of your precepts so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. Man, Lord, make me to understand. Open the lie, eyes of my heart. We sing this song, but in Psalms 119, 18, the psalmist also said, open my eyes, Lord. 
Reveal to me your truth. But here in verse 28, it says, My soul melts with heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. You know, when we blow it, we have conviction. And conviction is not necessarily a bad thing. When I'm convicted, it tells me I'm wrong. I shouldn't run from God. I need to run to God. I melts with heaviness. But he's asking here again, strengthen me, Lord. Strengthen me as a believer according to your word. Because his word says he will uh, strengthen us. Verse 29, he says, remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I, lo- I love what the new, how the New Testament, uh, New Living uh, Testament puts it. It says, keep me from lying to myself. You know, a lot of times we have a false view of ourselves. We think we're so all, all put together. You know, no, we're just hiding it better. You know, God knows. You know, we, we all struggle. We all fall short. But he says, remove from me that way of lying to myself. You know, God reveals our, the true nature of our heart, that we need a Savior. We need to grow. And it's God's graciousness that gives us his word to teach us and to, to cause us to know and to grow. But verse 30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments are laid before me. See, we have a choice. See, we have the moral law, the way of truth. I, I have chosen the way of truth. I want to go the way of truth. I need God's power to lead me in truth and to keep me in the way of truth. You know, he says, I laid your judgments before me, the moral law, and we fall short. And we need help. We need help. Verse 31 says, I cling to your testimony. O Lord, do not put me to shame. Man, cling to the Lord. Cling to His... As Christians, we need to cling to the Word of God. That's how vital it is to us. Cling to it, the psalmist says. It brings stability. You know, when I, when, I, when I go off course, man, usually when I sin, man, I feel shame, ashamed. And, and you know what? Get up and come back. God's word brings stability to your life. Verse 32, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. You know, that's our goal, man, to finish the race, to run the course, you know, to stay on the word of God. But again, the psalmist is asking to do a work of his spirit in our hearts. Enlarge my heart, Lord. Give me a big heart for your word that I may finish and run the course that's set before me, that I may finish well. You know, that's my prayer. Verse 33, the psalmist goes on and says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Again, having a teachable heart, asking the Lord, teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord. And that should be our daily attitude with coming to the Lord. Verse 34 says, give me, an under, give me understanding. Give me understanding. And I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to walk in your paths and your commandments, for I delight in it. Man, Lord, give me understanding. I love the psalmist, how he's just, he's pleading with the Lord, give me. I know there, it's not anything within me. I know I, I see your word. I want to keep it. I need understanding. I observe it. But Lord, let me do it with a whole heart. Help me not to be a, half, a half-hearted Christian. 
Just think of a marriage relationship. If, 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 you're if I was half-hearted with my wife and I didn't love her with all my heart, do you think she'd put up with me? You know, God is so gracious. You know, let's, let's give him our whole heart. You know, may we walk in his word and may we delight in it. You know, we need to pray to be like him. But it says here that Je after Jesus proclaimed, he sat down. He sat down here in, uh, in Luke chapter 4. He sat down after he proclaimed the truth. You know, and he speaks of judgment. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 34, who is he who condemns? You know, the Bible tells us that we're condemned already without Christ. But he's going to judge. But it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 4, it says Christ is he who died. And furthermore, it is also he who, ri who has risen and who is at the right hand of God who makes intercessions for us. See, Jesus died. He rose again. He's sitting and he's praying for us. That's what we need to be more like Jesus. Dying to self. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sitting and trusting God and praying for others. Praying for others. We need, how do we do that? How do we become like Jesus? By spending time with Him. You know, we have to have a good biblical view of Jesus. A good biblical view of His ministry. His message. And, and we get to know Him, His heart. By reading his word. Spend time with him in prayer. You know, realize where you're at with him. And, you know, he, he's not putting you down. He's not putting you down. He just wants you to see yourself in truth. And like the psalmist, we could ask for divine help. And Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him. And he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, we're here to worship Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights and to spend fellowship with him. When we have fellowship with him, our faith comes by hearing. And we encourage you, you know, come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. These are times where you're you're gonna grow, where your faith is increased by by what you hear. And you you're you're corporately worshiping him. You know, a lot of people have this, well, I worship him in my own way. Well, Jesus talks about congregational work, getting together, fellowshipping, building each other up. Read uh, Hebrews chapter 10 about being together. And I'm going to close with Psalms 119, verse 88. The psalmist said, Revive me according to your loving kindness, that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. You know, again, He's praying, Haya, Haya, do a work of your spirit in me, church. You know, let God, you know, I'm looking with expectancy to see what God does in your life. You know, and I'm, that's my prayer. Lord, revive me. That word, Haya, speaks of, 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 of preserving life, to becoming alive, to be quickened, to be refreshed, to be restored, and to grow supernaturally. It's not what you do it's what he does in you salvation is a free gift and the work of his spirit is a powerful thing we just got to say lord have your way let's pray 
Father, we love you and we do pray that we would know the person of Christ, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of him. Father, we do pray for areas of revival in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your word. Help us to be a people who live according to your word. Help us to understand your, the message of the gospel. We Help us to understand that we all fall short. So we can't look down at people hypocritically like we're better than others. We're just better off because we're saved. Father, help us to pray, proclaim, Trust the Spirit of God working in in the lives of the lost. But help us to keep to the message of truth without wavering, but with compassion and love, Lord. Give us not only your word, it's truth, it's unyielding, but also give us your heart and your mind that we may be like Christ in thought, word, and deed. But Lord, we can't do it if Apart from the work of your spirit, revive us, Lord. Father, do a great work of your spirit in your people, Lord, and those at home who are listening, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves in truth, that we would come and we would plead these things before you, Lord, and that you would be glorified, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, Lord, and the washing of the water of the word. May we understand the gospel. May we proclaim it, may we live it, may we share it. And may we be faithful till the end. We love you, and Father, we do thank you for the tithes and offerings as well, Lord. Thank you for salvation, we thank you for regeneration, we thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, Lord, and we thank you for the tithes and offerings. May we use it for your glory, for the furtherance of the gospel, Lord, for equipping the saints, Lord. May we be faithful, Till, you're, till you come, Lord. So bless your people as they give you their hearts, as they give you their lives. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we all say amen. God bless you. Uh, Brother Sal will be here tonight. Uh, Brother Don's got a few.